Welcome to Masterclass, a collaboration between the virtual world diplomacy community and Brotherboard's Diplomacy Dojo. The host for this week's episode is Brandon Fogel. Brandon is an organizer with the Chicago-based Windy City Weasels and is a co-founder of the Diplomacy Broadcast Network. All right, uh, thank you everyone for joining us today for our masterclass. Uh, I talked Brandon Fogel into giving a talk today. You all know him from DBN. He is very passionate about the game of diplomacy. Uh, he has a lot of insights about everything. Uh, he is leading the Weasels uh, annual contest just about five years running. How many years in a row is it now, Brandon? Uh, no, I, I, Chris Kelly had the, uh, had the top spot a couple of years ago. So, Oh, okay. So it, it's been interrupted, but, but he's a pretty regular, uh, uh, topper of the, the Chicago weasels. And, uh, he's here to talk to us about Alliance play and whether or not it is even a good idea. Uh, please help me welcome Brandon Fogel. Thanks, Natty. Uh, it's good to be here. Um, I've uh, I've uh, paid attention to the master class uh, series, and it's uh, it's been really great for the hobby, and uh, really fascinating to see these people come in and talk. I'm not going to. I'm going to lower ex everyone's expectations. I uh, uh, this is uh, I, I've done some preparation for this. I've uh, put together some slides, um, but I haven't. You know, apart from talking about uh, this topic in um, sort of snippets on DBN, it's not something I've really uh, sort of articulated uh, in detail before. So it's uh, probably gonna be a little bit messy um, and uh, hopefully I'll get the sort of main ideas uh, across and uh, and hopefully surprise you guys uh, a bit based on uh, what your impression of me might be from, from DBN. Uh, so, okay, the what did I wanna talk about today? Well, um, the idea I had is that uh, this notion of alliance is obviously really central to diplomacy and it's something that we talk about a lot when we talk about diplomacy, um, and it's also something that we posture about a lot. And uh, so I think, you know, I, I wanted to try to cut through a little bit between uh, what people say about alliances versus what they actually think about alliances and, uh, and also offer my thoughts about what I think uh, a good ally is and what makes a good alliance, um, and also include some thoughts about what alliances themselves are actually uh, important for in not just diplomacy, but also what we can learn about our relationships uh, and how we approach relationships uh, outside of diplomacy from our diplomacy play. Uh, and I've uh, picked out a couple games to, uh, to analyze as uh, just uh, not in detail, but some certain moments from them. Uh, and they were both games that I was a part of uh, just because uh, easier to remember those and, and pick out important moments from them. All right, so uh, the question that I ask here, what are alliances good for? I'm going to redirect that a little bit for this first slide that I put up. Um, uh, here are things that I think people sort of say when they talk about what a good, a good ally is. Uh, and it's things like never stabs or never thinks of stabbing. And there's, there's often some sort of moral import in how they talk about this as well. Uh, like a, a bad ally is a bad person. Uh, and a good ally is inherently a good person. Uh, and I, so for me, I, I consider this a sort of simple alliance or a simple alliance play. Somebody who just gets in an alliance, doesn't think about stabbing, doesn't look for opportunities to reorient the strategic situation. Uh, and these are great allies to have if you can find them, um, but they're not good ways, I think, of being an ally if you want to maximize your score. Uh, and so, uh, 
first, why do people think this? Um, I think there's lots of interesting reasons for this. A uh, simple one is just that we have these moral beliefs that come to us independently of diplomacy. Um, and uh, easy ways to characterize some of these moral beliefs are that lying is wrong, betraying people is wrong, you making an agreement and breaking it is simply wrong. Uh, and those are ideals that are inculcated in us from a pretty early age. And they're important for uh, societal stability. Um, and, uh, and so I think we just kind of bring these to diplomacy as well, these moral intuitions that guide how we interact with people. And diplomacy is a game where we interact with people. And uh, so it's natural that we would bring these ideas uh, into the game. Uh, another sort of less virtuous motive here is uh, status play. Uh, we, are, uh, we are people who, uh, so mammals in general, but humans especially are beings that have, I think, an innate sense of status. And status is something that we strive for. And uh, we don't usually pass up opportunities to gain status, uh, which often involves putting other people down. And since uh, lying, sorry, not laying, I assume laying is an independent set of, uh, uh, of values associated with it, but lying is what I meant to write there. And uh, betraying are considered shameful um, and shaming others improves our social standing, um, our status essentially. And we just don't pass opportunities uh, like that up. So. Uh, I think, you know, we bring that kind of behavior into diplomacy as well, again, because that is um, diplomacy is inherently a social game. And those are, are the social apparatus that we have and that we bring to uh, to everything that we do. Um, another one is just simply strategic. In diplomacy, it's really useful to have people who behave in that way, uh, who don't lie, who don't betray, who always keep their deals. Um, and uh, so to the extent that we can cultivate those sorts of people, uh, it's useful for us to uh, uh, to have them as allies. All right. Well, um, before I talk about what uh, what I think makes a good ally in um, in contrast to those things, I, let me. I want to talk about a couple um, uh, concepts here that often get talked about in diplomacy, especially unit efficiency. Um, and this is something we talk about a lot on DBN, and it's really important for tactical purposes. Uh, and I tried to articulate this. I don't think uh, I don't think anyone's sort of done uh, a detailed definition of of what this means or how to calculate it. So, uh, you know, if any of you guys out there are interested in uh, like doing some diplomacy theory, this this is an area that could really use it, uh, articulating what unit efficiency is and trying to work out ways to calculate it. Uh, but here's a, a rough stab that I offer: um, a unit efficiency is how much your units promote your center count, either through growing that count or at least maintaining uh, the, the centers that you have uh, if someone's trying to, to lower them. Um, like I just said, this is hard to define precisely, but it's often clear when it's being done, when unit efficiency is being maximized or when it's uh, not being uh, maximized, when people are failing to use their units in ways that promote uh, their own success. You know, things like uh, leaving units uh, unordered, uh, we often complain about this on DBN because it lowers the ability to to leverage the uh, the resources that you have to generate more resources. Uh, but there are cases where holding actually does promote your center count, especially if it discourages someone else from moving on your centers. So, you know, merely holding is not uh, is not obviously a, a detriment to unit efficiency, but uh, it often is. Uh, but again, that's this is a it's a kind of a fascinating topic. It's really important, uh, and uh, certainly there should be master classes on that. 
Um, but the, yeah, there's real work to be done there if, if anybody out there wants to do it. All right, so in addition to unit efficiency, the, the concept that's more interesting for me here uh, is what I'm gonna call strategic efficiency. And this isn't something that we've talked about. This is, this is something that uh, kind of gets talked about obliquely, I should say, but never kind of directly. And so this is the concept that I kind of want to introduce for this conversation and, uh, and uh, see how it works in terms of uh, how we talk about alliances. All right, so what do I mean here? Uh, here's how I try to define this. How much you are leveraging, strategic efficiency is how much you are leveraging the strategic configuration on the board to do work that units would otherwise have to do. Um, some possible uh, ways that this might happen. Uh, you might uh, you might form an alliance uh, that feels strong enough that you don't even have to protect your home centers. So you can leave them unoccupied, even though uh, the ally may have units nearby. Uh, and that's a way to leverage your resources um, to try to gain more resources. You can use units uh, to go try to get other dots uh, rather than merely protecting your home centers. And if you're doing it because you know that your ally has better things to do with their units um, and you can trust that they'll understand that, well, for me, that's, a, that's, an, uh, that's this notion of strategic efficiency. You are generating more potential um, by leveraging the strategic situation on the board. All right, so what do I think a good ally is? Uh, is this um, one who views you as a genuine partner rather than a source of dots or merely a tool for some other purpose? So uh, what do I mean by genuine partnership? Well, that's uh, what I want to try to talk about fully here. Um, but uh, if any of you guys are philosophy nerds out there, um, and I have been in the past, uh, this is an idea that I, it, it's actually kind of central to how I view life in general or how I view uh, how I treat other people. And it's uh, it it's, uh, has a, an echo in uh, Kant's categorical imperative. So Immanuel Kant was a uh, you know, big philosopher back in the 18th century, uh, pretty late in life, sort of created this volcano of, um, of philosophical uh, content. And one of the things that he did, and one of the things he's best known for, uh, is a system of ethics that was really different from anything that came before. And one of the core uh, elements of this ethics was what he called the categorical categorical imperative. It has many formulations, uh, but one of them is this, and this is the one that's always resonated the most with me. Um, and uh, he thought that the, this imperative was um, sort of self-evident in a way. Uh, it's a little complicated what that means, but uh, he thought that this was at the heart, uh, sort of everything about his ethics stems from, uh, from this. And one of the formulations is this, it's to treat people not merely as a means to an end, but also as an end in themselves. Uh, it's, uh, you know, that takes a lot of unpacking to understand what that means. Uh, but one of the, uh, for, for our purposes here, um, I, I understand this as treating the other people as somebody who has goals that are worthy, as worthy as yours. Um, and for me, that's what a genuine partnership is. You're treating the other person not merely as a tool, uh, as something that you can use in order to gain something else, um, but, uh, but as somebody who has goals that are worthy and that you are willing to help um, now, there's a key word in here uh, in Kant's categorical imperative, um, and, uh, and I've echoed it in my own formulation up there, and that is merely, um, because it is not that you only treat other people as ends in themselves, but uh, uh, that you don't merely treat them as a means to an end. doesn't mean that you don't also treat them as a means to an end. Uh, you can do both simultaneously. 
but you also have to recognize that they're that they are uh, an independent being with goals and a sort of inherent dignity. All right. Um, what does that mean in diplomacy? Well, one important thing is, is that uh, it, uh, a good ally should be one that you can be vulnerable with. If the ally is also treating you as, um, as an end in, your, in themselves, an end in yourself, um, then that is one that, you can, uh, that you, you can relax around. You can be vulnerable with them. You can allow yourself uh, to uh, leave uh, avenues that they can exploit if they want to and trust that they won't do it. And uh, if you, you know, think back to the, my definition of strategic efficiency, this is a really obvious way uh, to use alliances to increase your strategic efficiency. All right, this is a definition. So unlike the, um, unlike the simple alliance, uh, simple uh, notion of ally that I offered before, this is one that works for both players. Um, as I say here, it's a model for both you and your ally. Uh, what does this mean, though? For for one thing, it means that you have to be willing to substantially increase your allies' chances of doing well. Uh, that means you should be willing to give dots. You should even offer them. Uh, you should actively consider how to promote your allies' interest. And that involves a kind of partial identification, right? You have to see what it's like to be them, so empathize, and uh, think about what uh, what would work best for them. doesn't mean that you necessarily do it, but you should be seeing it. Um, and sometimes also doing it. Uh, how do you feel uh, alternative win conditions play into this? Sometimes you find a player who is fine losing as long as they end up with the second most dots. Is that uh, incompatible with your definition of alliance play? No, I mean, I, you know, my sort of default perspective is um, coming, uh, is, from, is imagining a player who is always trying to maximize their score. Um, so I, when I hear you say alternative win conditions, um, I'm hearing somebody who's not actively trying to maximize their score. I, that's different from, uh, the case of somebody who is, uh, is imagining that the best they can do is like a strong second place. Um, so I, were you trying to distinguish between those two cases? Let me ask you that. It, I guess it does depend on what the scoring system is. Some scoring systems yeah. still give you points even if you give up a solo. But uh, uh, assuming that uh, your scoring system doesn't give you any points for a solo, uh, sometimes uh, people don't mind losing just as long as they came in quote-unquote second. And is that incompatible with your thoughts of, of alliance play? Um, I mean, you know, I'm the type of sort of genuine partnership that I'm talking about here is, is, uh, is one that, you know, the, the ideal scenario I'm imagining is, is more early in mid game where both players, um, sort of like the, uh, they have a world of possibility open to them. Uh, if you are, you know, if you're in the, the late mid game or in the late game where, um, your, uh, your options are more limited, um, then you know the notion of genuine partnership isn't uh, isn't as relevant because you just don't have the same. You're not equals in that sense. You don't have the same kind of potential. Um, so I have to. Uh, is that uh, does that answer your question, or uh, or do you want me to go further on that? No, that, that that's helpful. Yeah, I mean, there's you know there's a question here of like um, kind of a distantly related question of how. Uh, how genuine a relationship people with different levels of power can have. 
So I'm, I'm really going off the rails here, but, uh, you know, this is why, uh, romantic relationships between, uh, people where one has power over the other are, are deeply fraught and the questions of consent become, um, uh, become uh, complicated and uh, very difficult to sort of parse. Uh, and so I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to draw the direct relationship here because uh, obviously there's a lot of difference between uh, diplomacy relationships and, and romantic relationships. Although, you know, there are also commonalities, which I'll we'll get to a little bit later, but um, there, uh, there's something in common there where you, uh, if you were, if the goals available to you are very different, um, then the question of having a genuine partnership is uh, uh, maybe off the table. Uh, so in that sense, then what alliance, what alliance means actually in that case, I, yeah, so there, uh, this is getting back toward actually some commonality there. The question of what an actual alliance means in that case, uh, is, is, is different, right? If somebody is willing to be a vassal, if somebody's best option is to be a vassal, um, or a, uh, uh, or a Janissary, then the yeah, the realm of considerations is just going to be different. Um, so I, we could talk more about that a little bit later. Um, but at the moment, that's the extent of my thoughts on that. Uh, oh, okay. So any other questions then before I go on? All right. Uh, so here's an example, I think, of somebody who uh, made a really good strategic uh, consideration that uh, in which an alliance uh, a moment of alliance created a real opportunity for the other person and ended up uh, benefiting the person who made that that uh, consideration a lot. So this is the uh, the Weasel Royale, which is the Chicago Windy City Weasels League Championship game happens every year. Uh, and this was the 12th Weasel Royale, which uh, took place in 2020, was for the 2018-2019 uh, season, I believe. It was delayed because of uh, the pandemic. And um, uh, Corey Nesland, who is a DBN con uh, contributor, uh, was playing Italy here. Uh, I was playing Russia. You can see I was not doing very well. Uh, and a guy named Mike Witte was in Austria. Mike's a local player. I think he's played a couple of times online, but uh, for the most part, he's local Chicago. Uh, anyway, Corey, uh, Corey and I were kind of uh, secret allies from the beginning. We had a wintergreen plan for a long time. Um, we all tried to attack Christian Klein in Turkey here, and he uh, he managed to stick around longer than we all wanted because of some infighting uh, among us. Uh, Corey had stabbed Austria prior to this point. This is now the winter of 1906. Corey, in kind of a bold move, had tried to put the wintergreen into effect and stabbed uh, Austria. It hadn't worked out, um, and uh, by the winter of 1906, she and uh, she and Mike in Austria had made peace, uh, had been able to um, uh, sort of disentangle a bit. Corey had taken Trieste, but had uh, been able to move down to Greece and uh, and then had pulled Venice, uh, which I think was in Tyrolia back. Anyway, this is a moment where Corey had a big decision to make. Does she continue the fight against, uh, against Mike uh, or does she uh, try to reformulate the alliance? And... Uh, uh, Germany here was Ali Adib. And what Corey did is she made the calculation that Germany, that she could get Mike to work with her against Germany. And that would suit both of their, uh, both of their interests. And so what happens here in spring of 1907 is that Corey uh, sends units west and east away from Austria um, and trusts that Mike will see that fighting Ali, 
who by the way is just tied with Corey for the for the top spot here. Uh, the fighting uh, Al, uh, fighting Ali in Germany is um, uh, is going to work for both of them. So she leaves herself completely vulnerable. You can see here Mike could have gutted her here. Goes if he goes to Venice um, and then uh, drops down to Tyrol and Vienna. Here he's guaranteed Rome and Venice. Um, and, uh, it might've worked out for Mike. It's worth, you know, sort of wondering whether he could have pulled that off or not. Uh, but from Corey's perspective, uh, this is a, a moment of great strategic efficiency. She's able to use all of her units for other purposes, namely, uh, trying to get some of the remaining French centers, uh, and also getting some Turkish centers. Uh, and to do that, she had to increase Mike's, uh, wind chance. Um, she had to, uh, uh, she had to give him a real viable path to the win. Um, and, uh, uh, for me, this is just, a, this is a really great moment of, um, uh, of Alliance work. I, what people would call Alliance play, uh, we can talk about what they might mean in a little while, but, uh, uh, it, and, and, and it ends up, oops, did I not put the last slide? There we go. All right. I've got the slides out of order here. Um, Corey ends up winning this game and she wins the league championship. And this is the final position. Uh, note that she doesn't have any of the Austrian centers. Um, but uh, uh, Austria ends up pushing Germany back. Uh, Corey's able to secure most of the uh, those uh, those Western centers, uh, as well as some of the Turkish ones. And she's just in, in great position here. Um, so this game could have gone on longer, but it ended up uh, not because uh, uh, there was a recognition that Corey uh, couldn't that uh, Mike couldn't really push her back. Um, doesn't mean he might not have tried, but uh, in this case, he decided not to. Okay, so uh, that's a lot of uh, stuff about how alliances, uh, what, what I think they're good for. May surprise some of you guys, given that I like to talk about how, uh, uh, talk about stabbing and sort of express desire for people to break alliances a lot. I think that's given me a reputation as somebody who doesn't like alliances. Um, and I think people who have played with me know that that's, uh, that's not how I play. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, I, there are reasons for that. One is that it's uh, stabs are fun. There's uh, there's drama that I like, uh, but also I do think people are genuinely um, a little bit too reticent to break alliances um, for one reason or another. Okay, so what um, what is the big but here with alliance play? Um, I uh, for me, I think you have to remember who your primary ally is, and your primary ally is always yourself. Uh, Kant in that formulation uh, talks about people. You should treat other people as ends uh, in themselves, not merely as means to an end. And he was really clear that the notion of people he invokes there includes you. So you have to treat yourself as an end in itself, uh, not merely as a tool to some other end. Um, and uh, I think people have a tendency to not do this. Um, they have a tendency to actually put other people above themselves sometimes. Um, and uh, okay, so how do, how, does, uh, how do I articulate when you know this? Um, there's going to be a point where promoting your chances of doing well is incompatible with promoting your allies' chances. Um, and I think it's, uh, you owe it to yourself to constantly evaluate where that might be. Um, for an example for this, I'm going to go back to the broadcaster brawl, which uh, I played with uh, all the other, a bunch of the other broadcasters online, um, uh, on air, I should say. And here, you know, if you guys watch this game, this was a famous moment, um, the big moment of the uh, of the tournament, although I'm sorry, uh, of the game. This is a, a couple uh, turns before that. This is fall of 1906. So I am playing Russia here and Siobhan Nolan is playing Italy. 
uh, you know, I didn't realize that I, I picked out the same exact same countries. Uh, so this is a wintergreen one that we actually were able to put through. And uh, you can see by this point, <clears throat> excuse me a second. By this point, we have um, actually succeeded with the wintergreen. We've destroyed uh, Turkey and Austria. Austria here is Chris Brand and uh, Turkey here is um, Brian Pravel. And we succeeded in getting Brian to uh, become Janissary for us. And so he ends up being the tip of the spear that we point at the Western powers. Um, but here's a moment in fall of 1906 um, where this wintergreen is ascendant and I offer Siobhan, um, I go to Siobhan and um, I, I see that she's got a problem with France on her Western side. I don't have immediate threats. So uh, rather than building two here, which I would if I did not uh, tell and uh, follow through with giving Siobhan Bulgaria here, this is sort of a, uh, that's the center that didn't need to be transferred. Uh, and I went to her and I offered it to her. So it wasn't something she asked for. I went and I offered it to her. And this is this is something that, so it gave her two builds um, and I only got one, whereas it easily could have been the other way around. Um, this is a moment where I, I, I saw that uh, if the partnership was going to work, she needed the build more than I did. Um, and so I, uh, I did this, you know, I did this thing which definitely increased her chances of winning. Um, whether they lowered mine or not, it's an interesting question, but they definitely increased hers more than they increased mine. Um, so this is, uh, this is a, a moment where I definitely, her, I, don't th I wouldn't say that I put her above mine, her, uh, her needs above mine, but I did um, view her needs as important. Um, it's possible, uh, it probably likely as well, actually, that giving her Bulgaria increased my win chances more than not giving it to her but it's true that it increased hers more than it increased mine. Um, and, uh, and I was fine with it. I was genuinely fine with her winning this game. If it happened, if you follow the game, you know that that's not what happened. Um, because a year later, uh, I end up stabbing her and, uh, and going on to win the game. So, uh, you know, we can talk about whether this was, you know, why this stab happened or not. Um, for me, it was clear that if I could get the stab and get away with it, um, then my chances of winning were significantly greater uh, doing that than they were staying in the alliance. Um, and uh, does that make me a bad person? No. <laughs> you know, Siobhan gave me a lot of grief on the uh, on the stream afterward. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I viewed a lot of that as uh, posturing, to be honest, um, the sort of posturing that I talked about at the top of this, where uh, you know, shaming me um, and trying to, uh, you know, project a specific, first of all, it does a couple of things, right? It, it gets me to be less like, potentially less likely to stab her again in the future, but also uh, sort of uh, uh, creates a reputational effect, which might benefit her and, and, uh, and work against me. Um, but I, from my perspective, this was a, um, this was a really successful alliance for both of us. Uh, it's one that increased both of our chances of winning greatly, I think, to a point where really it was going to be one of either of us who were going to top this board. Uh, and it came down to which one of us managed uh, things from that point uh, better. And I happen to get the upper hand here. Um, when I look back on, on the Weasel Royale championships, um, you know, the last four, I think, have come down to either me or uh, my ally winning. Um, and for me, that's, that's really successful. Um, that is, you know, I'm really happy that my ally, that allies won the ones that they did. I'm happy 
that I won the ones that I did. Um, but either way, you know, that's a successful alliance. Um, for, the, for me, that's the way to play alliances in a way that maximizes chances. There are other ways to do it, um, but over the long run, that's what maximizes your, uh, uh, your chances when you treat your allies as genuine partners. All right, so uh, yeah. just, yeah, go ahead. For the purpose of illustrating the term of strategic efficiency that you were talking about earlier, do you see that as an example? I mean, it sounds like from um, what you did earlier, by, uh, by helping Siobhan get those two builds, you were knocking down a potential uh, topper in France, and you were also defending, um, you were making sure you wouldn't have to defend the former Turkish centers from a really sweeping French uh, you know, movement over time. So is that what you meant by strategic efficiency earlier? Yeah, a hundred percent. Thank you. That's really nice. Yeah, this is. Um, yeah, I would say this is a moment of high strategic efficiency where um, I. Uh, yeah, I'm getting. I'm allowing this potential conflict between Italy and France to do work for me that my units might otherwise have to do. Um, right, and then it sounds like there's also one other element here, which is that as you work through the alliance, you may be setting up the potential for a stab that you could take or not take as the game goes. I'm not sure if that's maybe a third element in addition to the strategic and unit efficiency or if it's part of um, one of those. It's definitely a distinct concept. So even if it's like a, you know, a sub part of, of strategic efficiency, it'd be, it's worth articulating. Um, but uh yeah, I mean, so part of that, right, too, is also building up, allowing someone else to be in the lead and become a target. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, there's sort of different elements of that. But in general, there's a, a sense of getting units to move away from you um, to create space for you to uh, to make some sort of move. Yeah, that's that's worth. Yeah, this seems like a kind of strategic efficiency, but it definitely seems worth uh, worth articulating. That's a nice point, Brent, uh, Ben. All right, so let me uh, let me summarize here. I've talked uh, maybe a bit longer than I expected to, which is fine. Um, but uh, the um, uh, so all right to summarize for me, I think it's important to think of alliances as genuine relationships. Um, treat allies as ends in themselves, not only means, but also the, you know. So I guess I want to reemphasize that um, it, you know if it feels like there's a contradiction here because you're doing both at the same time. Um, I, I, I want to say that there's not a contradiction there. It's, uh, in fact, unavoidable to do both at the same time. It's overly idealistic to think that you could only treat people as ends in themselves. You, you always have multiple motives uh, working at the same time. The important part is to, is to include as one of the motives to treat other people with, uh, as if they're uh, you know, entities with goals that are worth uh, pursuing. Uh, you know, a, a simple example of that, by the way, I'll digress here for a second, is um, when you uh, when you take a taxi, if you uh, you're, if you tr you could you could take a taxi in a way that treats the person as if they are uh, kind of worthless. Uh, but there's also a way in which you can treat them as if they are um, a, a person who uh, is, has inherent dignity and who um, whose goals are worth pursuing. You know, their life goals are worth pursuing. Um, and both of those involve giving the person money to take you somewhere. Um, so your goal is never not part of that. Uh, but the way that you treat that person does make a big difference in um, in the uh, the sense of the interaction. Um, in diplomacy, it matters because the things that you do will differ uh, in in both cases, whether you're treating them uh, as ends in themselves or only as a means. Um, so the, for me, this means that you have to actively promote your allies' interests. 
um, but only as long as you're promoting your own as well. And what I would stress is that um, it's important as a diplomacy player to be active in evaluating that balance. You want to be reevaluating every turn uh, whether your interests are better served in the alliance or out of the alliance. And if they are better served in the alliance, then really take the alliance seriously and treat it like a genuine relationship. Okay, real quick then, um, before I turn the floor over to, to questions and discussion, um, I think there are some interesting life lessons to pull uh, out of diplomacy from this. Um, you know, if you if you were to sit down and list what you think um, makes a good friend or a good partner, I, they would most likely include at least these two. Uh, they are someone you can be vulnerable with and someone uh, who views your goals as at least in part their goal kind of identification. Um, but you should remember to be a partner to yourself. Um, that means don't stay in a relationship merely for the sake of it. Uh, don't be a simple alliance player in life, uh, as well as on the diplomacy board. This is where diplomacy gets to be uh, sort of like therapeutic, a little bit of uh, a transference um, that uh, shows up in psychoanalysis as well. Uh, you can learn something about yourself as uh, and how you relate to other people uh, by how you play diplomacy. And you can use diplomacy as a kind of playground for figuring out how to find that balance between uh, supporting yourself and uh, relating to someone else and finding ways to make their goals important for you as well. Um, so, you know, why isn't diplomacy like life? Uh, because there are, there are moments in diplomacy where uh, we get to the point where resources become scarce. Um, and there's only so much to go around. This just generally doesn't happen in life, thankfully. Uh, we do like imagining when it does. So games like Survivor, game shows like Survivor or narrative shows like The Walking Dead, these are places where the supply centers run out and there's competition for them. And uh, people have to actively consider whether it's better to be uh, working with others or not, uh, with the basic proviso that you are much better working uh, with people than with not than without. Um, but you have to find the right balance between uh, doing so and not doing so. Um, and I just to finish, there's, there's a reason why these shows feel like diplomacy. Um, and it's because uh, those are the ways in which diplomacy is like life. Um, and uh, that's one of the reasons that I love the game, because uh, it brings out these aspects in a way that can be playful and safe, um, you know, if people are managing things correctly uh, in terms of the... Uh, code of conduct and and how people are relating to each other as people. Um, but uh, yeah, those are this this is the thing that uh, makes diplomacy most interesting to me as a game. Uh, quite apart from the sort of endless strategic complexity, it's the way that it is about how we relate to each other as people. Uh, and that's where I'm going to stop and turn the floor over to uh, discussion and questions. Brandon, when you are deciding whether or not an alliance uh, serves your interests, uh, when you're making the decision, which you say has to be done every turn, is this something that only comes from experience or is there something more formulaic about it? Like you think to yourself, uh, if I don't gain a supply center in the next two years, it's no longer serving my interests. Or if I'm not able to defend myself this way, it is no longer serving my, my interests. So is it more is it more uh, impressionistic, like that you just have a feel for when it's working for you, or is there something more mathematically concrete about it? God, wouldn't it be nice if we could reduce uh, this kind of question to a set of equations? Um, it's uh, no, I think ultimately it's going to, there's, you just have to develop an intuitive sense. There are, I think, certain things that you 
uh, end up being able to see relatively easily. Like, um, if uh, two come to mind here, uh, if I if I fall below this uh, threshold, uh, like dot threshold, you know, three or four, it's usually somewhere around there. Especially if other people, if I've got uh, uh, enemies on some other front. Uh, if I fall below the certain threshold, then either I'm not going to survive or my chances of winning are going to be completely, uh, completely uh, uh, destroyed. Um, you know, those can be moments where um, uh, where uh, you might, <laughs> uh, you know, claw at the edge of the lifeboat um, and, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and think that an alliance is no longer working. Um, the uh the other is is when it's it, for me i mean that, that's a that's a desperate situation so it's probably not the one i should have started with but um the, for me generally the only times that uh, i look to break alliances are if um if i have a chance to uh, secure the board top um and uh you know and obviously that depends as well on uh, what the larger context is you know where you are in the tournament or the season um but uh it's a uh, no, there's no, there's no, there's no real formula for it, but it's a, it's a matter of figuring out what is, what goals are important to you and what actions are likely to uh, uh, advance you to towards those goals in a way that um, has a high likelihood of success. Did I just, I, did I just completely dodge your question, Natty? I'm sorry. No, uh, I think that does answer it. My, my question was more about uh, if this is only something uh, about experience or for some sort of rubric you use. And I guess what you said is the rubric you use is you look for the situation that makes you secure the board top or the tournament top. Yeah, with yeah, and the first scenario I were I suggested is one where um, you you have to break an alliance not because uh, it's going to get you um, the the top, but it's merely one for survival. That's that's relatively rare. But yeah, for me, it's really more about um, whether your goals are better served in the alliance um, or outside of it. But th th you know, that's just it's a question of figuring out how to. That's part of a larger skill of figuring out how to uh, evaluate what courses of action are are worthy for your are, are, are good for advancing your goals and that's um that's hard to do and it's something that you definitely get better at with practice if i can offer a quick sort of concurring opinion and it sort of underscores what uh, ben and brandon were talking about in the broadcasters brawl um i mean brandon made a a very big alliance play as he pointed out by just offering a center to chauvin but the principles that served were it kept it empowered chauvin to keep fighting france which pushes the the conflict away from where he, where Brandon is, which suits his interests, and it also builds confidence in Shoban. So, I, as as someone just watching the replay of the game, what we saw was that Shoban got really overextended, then Brandon stabbed her, and now we with, with what Brandon's revealed, it's like, oh, that's why she had the confidence to overextend herself because Brandon Brandon gave her Bulgaria, so he's obviously on her side. So, build confidence in the relationship that let Brandon take advantage of it at a later time. So both yeah, strategically, I, it was great for him. Yeah, but I think what I want to be clear about is that I genuinely was on her side at the time. Like it yeah. wasn't, you know, it right. was not. Uh, and, I, and it's important, I think, 
Uh, it's not important just, you know, obviously it helps me reputationally to sort of point that out, but, um, but I don't think I would have seen it uh, if I had merely been thinking about my own interests. Uh, this is the point I want to make is that I, right. in order, in order to be a good ally, you really need to be a good ally. The thing is you just can't, you can't drink your own Kool-Aid in that sense. You have to keep in mind that, um, uh, that you also have to be an ally to yourself. And that that means evaluating uh, at every point whether the alliance is good for you um, going forward. Yeah, I think I think part of what I meant is that by giving Chauvin confidence, you you keep her from say cutting a deal with France and coming back against you. So it kind of removes the temptation for her to stab you. Yeah, so it works on multiple levels, but but ultimately, right? Because it um, because it was helping her. Yeah, right. It, it was still a good alliance. Still a good. I mean, her. You know, her mistake ultimately there wasn't um, wasn't trusting me. It was not protecting herself. Um, yeah. So in that case, she didn't like. She didn't need to convoy the uh, that army away. She had a spare unit ultimately. Um, and uh, I, you know, I don't know if she didn't realize that she didn't need to do that, or if um, if she was. Uh, yeah, drinking drinking a different kind of Kool Aid that say the uh, the alliance was secure no matter what, um, and that's the kind of simple alliance play that I think is dangerous for everyone involved. Um, it, it, unless somebody is unless your ally is doing it and you know not to. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's definitely on Shobhan that she she would sort of as you said she, she drank her own Kool Aid and got overconfident in the the alliance. Uh, another question I had, and you may have covered this earlier. I, I came in kind of late and at an awkward point because it was a game where I got crushed. Um, so you were talking about the Weasel Royale, um, and um, I was France in that game, and um, England, Germany, and Italy all came at me at the same time out of the, out of the gate. Um, and Ali did something very interesting in that game where he was part of this three-way alliance to take me down, but he was also feeding me what Italy was going to do so that he could get so that I could defend myself better against Italy. And eventually it wasn't because he wanted me to, to survive, but he was just putting himself in better position to get my dots because I could fight off Italy better. And so you take that as, um, I just, I just, I, just, I, just, I don't know if you want to comment on what Ali's approach to the Alliance was as far as being part of the Alliance, but also sabotaging parts of it so that he would come out sort of a better share of the spoils. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting case, right? Where um, it doesn't sound like Ali was being a true uh, ally to you. Um, oh, no, not at all. I was, I'm thinking about his alliance with uh, Corey. With I mean, Corey, I, that's, that's what I meant. It wasn't being a true ally to Corey. Um, he was definitely in a different mode where he was, uh, where he was uh, using her to, uh, to harm you and try to get better position for himself. Uh, whereas I think he may have been treating Brian Pravel in England here uh, in a different way um, as somebody who he was willing to um, sort of help get good position in order to uh, advance his causes as well. Does that sound right or am I m- missing something with uh That sounds right. I actually what a great thing to be able to comment on is, so if you've got a three-way alliance, how do you judge who you keep working with and who you eventually throw off the throw overboard? 
Yeah, that's a great question, right? Because there's going to be, um, there's likely going to be a point at which um, you shift how you're viewing one partner or another. Uh, and obviously that'll depend on the scoring system. That'll be an influence in, uh, in how that works, uh, what considerations work there. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, similar to what I was saying before, this becomes a question of uh, how you evaluate um, just which one is going to advance your your overall uh, goal is the best, uh, which I'm assuming are maximizing your score. When you uh, talk about um, the alliance being an end uh, in itself, um, I, I, I can see that on the surface uh, from a metagame reputation standpoint that uh, you know, you'll uh, succeed better in the future if people think of you as a reliable ally. And I can also see it in, the, in a particular game as far as... Um, there's a benefit uh, to being able to put yourself in the other person's shoes and consider their interests, and it's going to help you, uh, you know, succeed in communicating uh, better. But um, are, are, do you mean to be implying that there's some uh, a priori reason uh, that, that uh, you should be tr uh, treating alliance relationships as an end in themselves, or is it more about the outcomes? So I'd, I'd uh, just be careful about the the way you're talking about that. It's not the alliance that is um, that I would treat as a good in itself. It's the ally uh, themselves. So um, and it's uh, you're always there's always as we're talking about this before. There's always a dual motive at stake. You can never uh, treat them only as an end in themselves. Um, but there's there's always a way in which you're treating them as a means to an end uh, that. It has more to do with your own goals and um the uh the overall point that i would make is not that uh not that there is a moral imperative here so i'm not trying to echo kant's argument that the categorical imperative um is you know he called this a synthetic a priori something that is um sort of true in itself but something that we uh, uh learn through experience um uh, not learned through experience, but something that is true based on how we are constructed as cognitive beings. I don't want to argue anything uh, grandiose about about my uh, views of alliances uh, in that way. Um, it's all from the perspective of what's going to uh, maximize your score in the long run. And the argument that I would make is that trading people as ends in themselves is um, uh, is actually a way to maximize your score uh, in the long run. Uh, and it's a way to both be a good ally and to expect uh, your allies to be. So it's, you know, in the, in the, it, there are players who try to approach alliances um, where they want the other player to behave differently from how they would behave. Um, and that is, they want their alliance partners to be simple alliance players while they are not. Uh, and so, you know, there are, are scorpion type players who, who do this a lot. Christian Klein is one that comes to mind, although he's, uh, interestingly, as, as he's gotten more aware of his reputation, uh, he has tried to change how he plays a bit. Um, but uh, there are people who do that who are always looking to use other people as uh, merely as tools. And the argument that I would make here is that that is, in the long run, um, uh, not the way to, uh, uh, to maximize your score, uh, to be somebody who tops boards regularly and, uh, and does well. But a little bit, you know, I, I think the, uh, if I understand the sort of underlying philosophical thrust, I think it's, uh, yeah, it would be 
careful that I'm not trying to argue for moral good here, but I do think that there is a consonance with um, uh, how we relate to people outside of diplomacy. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't want to get into a sort of deeper philosophical discussion here about whether there are moral goods or not. I happen, that happens to be how I aim to treat other people is in, um, is as ends in themselves, not uh, merely as means to my own ends. Um, so it's in that sense that I think diplomacy is a way to learn how you can be, uh, how you can, it's, it's a way that I can learn how to um, uh, better fulfill that aim is by learning how I do it, how I would do it in uh, situations that, you know, aren't necessarily uh, ones that come about in real life, but uh, that do have elements of ones that do come about in real life. I think this is a really important distinction to make, and I just want to sort of, I hope I'm not imposing if I jump in here, but I really like that we're playing a a game here and that we are able to um, be outside of our normal um, life situations, right? We're able to sort of, um, like you said earlier, um, think strategically about what maximizes our own chance to win the game rather than about how to um, treat people. And, and now that's, that's not to say that alliance play isn't the best, isn't really fun in addition to being um, successful. But um, it's difficult, right? Because I think what you were saying before comes into play a lot. A lot of people feel um, negative about diplomacy or they play and they, and they get burnt out on it or um, they um, have a bad reputation of the game and, and it, gets, it gets seen negatively. I think because we bring morality into it a little bit more than it needs to be. I mean, I used to play football and no one ever got mad that you tried to beat them in football. You know, uh, I think it's an important distinction to bring, even though it's really hard to do because we do develop relationships in the game. And that's one of the most fun things about the game. Just sort of wanted to highlight that tension and that I kind of come down on the side of um, not tearing moral slights within the game out of the game. Yeah, it's it's in, intense how uh, how diplomacy it it's both a game and it's. Um, a mirror of how we relate to people. Uh, and that if you have difficulty with confrontation, for example, or um, if you have, uh, you know, attachment theory is sort of interesting here. I don't know about it a lot in detail, um, but uh, I do know, you know, there's a, the notion of secure attachment and then there's lots of other different categories. Um, and if you, if the way that you connect to people um, is, somehow uh difficult if, if there if you have difficulties in relating to people um they will come out in diplomacy and so if you if you're able to recognize that diplomacy is um it, if you're able to see diplomacy as a play a place to safely play with those uh ways of relating to people and to allow the difficulties that you know may come up in other contexts to come up here um and find ways to both accept that those things come up and then to figure out how to work through them. That's a way where diplomacy can be like genuinely therapeutic and a way to improve as a person. But that's really hard. Like all of those things are really hard to do. Um, 
the, uh, you know, therapy can be really hard. I'm a huge proponent of therapy. I've done it a lot over the course of my life and I recommended people do it a lot as well. Um, but it's hard. It can be really hard to examine the things that make it hard for you to connect with other people. Um, and so if you're not comfortable doing that and it comes out in diplomacy, um, then yeah, diplomacy is going to be, it's going to be hard for you to enjoy the game. Um, but I've seen people, I have friends who have played diplomacy and figured out how to, uh, you know, they've seen these difficulties come up and they've been okay with it, found ways to be okay with it, which was not easy. Um, but then they, uh, they found ways to use diplomacy to improve, uh, as, uh, as a person, you know, who has confrontations with other people, um, and we're ultimately better off for it. I know it's worked that way for me. Like I, I wish that I had found diplomacy as a kid because it would have been a great way to learn how to find balances between, you know, my goals and other people's goals and, um, to, uh, to be able to handle confrontation, uh, better, but man, it is hard. And these are some of these things that come up in diplomacy, these difficulties with uh, relating to people, those are, can be fundamental to struggles that people have in life in general. And so for those to come out uh, in a game context in front of other people, especially strangers, uh, that can be really hard. And I definitely am really sympathetic to people who, uh, who, uh, you know, don't enjoy diplomacy because of that. Uh, I wish, you know, I, I wish for them that they're able to, uh, they could find a way to enjoy it anyway, you know, and use diplomacy therapeutically, but uh, definitely can't begrudge anyone who uh, who finds it too difficult for that reason. Would anyone else, uh, anyone else have a question or comment? There seems well, to be think... going on in the chat. I don't know if, that, if you all want to, it is an interesting discussion. Oh, uh, no, I haven't seen the chat at all. Well, it's just, it's just following on this point. I don't, I don't want to encourage anyone to speak if they don't want to speak verbally, but I do think it's an interesting conversation. <laughs> I think we just want to interrupt more than anything. Yeah. What I wanted to add to Malipsy's point was me and Ben had like two bad games before I played with them um, during Radial and we had like, we didn't get it like played well together. And then on the Radial game with me, Ben and Karthik, I were able to patch things up and it worked out in our favor and he learned how to like trust me and whatnot. Yeah, that's all I wanted to say. I'm sorry, I'm really hungover right now. I'm just gonna shut up. It's uh I mean this sort of reminds me of the of the other half of Ben's point is that um you uh you know diplomacy is a place where you uh, a lot of us end up making friends and forming uh pretty close relationships with people that we would not have met in any other context. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's something about, uh, like the kind of person who's okay with the, uh, the play with relationships that have diplomacy, um, the, it seems to be a, like a particular kind of person and, uh, and yeah, those people, uh, can, uh, form really great friendships, ones in which, um, you know, there is, there is more room for play just because we're used to playing. Uh, with relationships on the diplomacy board. But yeah, but it, it can take some work to get there, right? Because, you know, uh, Sabi just talked about Karthik learning to trust her. Like, you know, that's the kind of thing that- uh, it, it was Ben learning to trust her. I, I, I stabbed her ruthlessly. Or not stabbed, <laughs> okay. I attacked her ruthlessly. We were it never, wasn't a stab, we were never allies. Yeah, 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 I just attacked her ruthlessly. Yeah, and I had to use Ben as an ally. And while also giving him advice on 
moves and whatnot. So I gave him a service in exchange for protection against Karthik and um, whoever England was. It worked out really well. And we were, I was Italy and, and Sabi was France in both of those games where we didn't work well together. And then when we did work well together, but this sort of goes to my point partially is because I, um, at the risk of, of reputationally damaging myself, I, I really liked working with you, Sabi, and I'd really like to work here with you again, but I am not of the opinion that you always work with somebody if you like them. You know what I mean? I want to look no, at the yeah. board. Agree. Yeah. Right. I agree with that. I was just saying that, like, yes, I, if, like, if I wasn't flexible our past two games together, I would have not worked with you. But due to the right. fact that I was flexible, I was able to work with you, and I knew we both had a common goal going to the game was to get a better rate, raking, rating, whatever. Um, yeah, nice Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. this does go to Brandon's point about relationships also. It's very interesting. It all gets very interconnected. Um, and I just, the point I was, one of the points I was making when I said my first thing is that I really love the competition of the game. And I, I don't like when that gets lost in the morality of the game. Despite my enjoyment for the relationships that are built also. Yeah, and I think one of the, I guess one point I want to, uh, that I've tried to make here is that morality is kind of un unrelated to the game. Um, it, it, it is metaphorically because we're using some of the same, um, like, uh, brain pathways and, uh, cognitive tools. Um, but the, uh, the, the reason why we follow those off the, like the justifications for those off the board, um, and on the board are very different. This is actually similar to what, uh, Maletsky was getting at earlier, you know, and, I answered it by saying that uh, on the board, what matters is score maximization. Um, that's, you know, for me, that's ultimately the justification for any, uh, any general approach. Whereas off the board, right, you're not really, the, your motivations for adopting certain ways of, of relating to people, are, they do end up having general moral sensibilities to them. You know, you're not, you're not really thinking about, um, maximizing the, you know, the resources that you have, although you might, right. That could be part of your considerations, but, um, it's not, it's likely not going to be the, the foundation. If you ended up probing yourself, it's likely that you do have a moral sense where that comes from is another question, but, um, uh, but these, these two different, you know, the, these two different justifications, they end up using the same cognitive, uh, apparatuses in both on the board and off the board. Uh, there's a couple of things I want to say here that, that you guys made me think of. So first of all, I just that that you know that when Sabi said uh, that okay, it's Ben, not Karthik, uh, is had to learn to trust her. Like it's just me, that's just that's just great, right? Like that's the sort of thing that you say about friends, um, you know. But this is this is a way in which like that that relationship building is similar, uh, both on the board and. Uh, and off the board. Um, the other thing I, I would say that is that I think that this rubric, this way I have of talking about alliances as being um, uh, true relationships, like a good alliance is one in which each person is is forming a genuine relationship with the other, even if it's only temporary. Like, uh, you know, I would add that that our relationships are in a way, but um, th this is a way, a, a good sort of tool for learning how to recognize whether other people are good allies or not. Try to evaluate whether they are viewing you as a means to an end or as uh, merely as a means to an end or as somebody with goals that are worth championing. 
Um, and that's something that you actually can learn to discern. Um, and for me, it's the number one thing that I look at when I'm looking at whether somebody is being a good ally or not. Do they actually care about allowing me to increase my win chances or not? Or are they really just trying to use me, um, you know, uh, as maybe Ali was uh, to Corey in that, in that particular game that, that uh, Chris was bringing out? David uh, Hood, I see, you, uh, I see you lurking. Do you have any comments from your experience in the broadcaster brawl uh, about alliances? Yeah, maybe he's not, uh, not able to talk right now. Well, I had to, uh, I had to get to a, I had to get to a stopping place because I was driving to the to the to the uh, post office to get the office mail. Nice. Because I'm I'm basically uh, double dipping right now. So you're I, working I, I on Father's Day. Of, I, well, you know, yes is the answer to your question. What? So what was your question again? I was just curious in the broadcaster brawl. Um, I talked about that earlier as uh, an example of uh, how how alliances can function um, as genuine relationships and also uh, when uh, they might cease to be as useful uh, as not being in the alliance uh, from my perspective. Um, but I was just curious because you're, you never really had an ally in that game. Um, nope. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which might just, might just be a failure of my diplomacy, but uh, uh, the, the the one thing about that game that I think makes it different from other games is that we all knew each other, at least on some level, and some of us knew each other really, really well outside the board. So it, it was a it was a almost a unique set of interpersonality uh, relationships, I think. You know, in relation to playing at a you know virtual tournament or a VDL game where you sort of know the people you've played with them before, but I mean, some of us on that board had had tremendous interaction over months and years. And I think that actually made it easier to um, go back and forth in terms of alliances than it would have in in the situation where you don't know each other quite so well. At least that's my perception. Plus, Brandon, you just suck is the answer. Something we uh, something that's been bouncing around here that um, I haven't articulated specifically is uh, the distinction between what gets called alliance play and balance of power play. And uh, I thought of trying to put together a slide for this, and I found that I couldn't even really articulate a strong distinction between the two. Um, and, uh, you know, simple, I could do a simple extreme uh, distinction. Simple alliance play is where you people form alliances and don't think about breaking them. And uh, simple balance of power play is where nobody forms alliances and they always just attack the leader. Um, but, uh, you know, if you if you try to articulate more sophisticated versions of of those, then they end up sounding a lot alike. You know, people um, stick with alliances as long as they uh, are better off in them than without them. And um, if, uh, you know, balance of power play is they stay with an alliance uh, until it starts minimizing their chances of uh, uh, of winning and then they break it and uh, try to form a different alliance structure that does maximize their chances. Um, Right. And I'd also like to say, like, I think the balance of power aspect is exactly what chooses one to believe that an alliance either is or isn't working in their benefit. Like when you see uh, potentially like, you know, either your ally or someone else on the other side of the board uh, that you and your ally are currently working against as critical means of checking the board top, uh, then you will probably be inclined to say, hey, this alliance isn't in my interest anymore 
because of board realities, aka board balancing, as a priority. So I, I, I do think they actually go hand in hand with board balancing, not just being part of Lions Play, but being the uh, decision calculus that determines whether or not the Lions Play is working. Yeah, thank you. That's a really nice point. Because um, now you can imagine, uh, you can imagine scenarios such as where your alliance partner, you, you're in an alliance, you both have been successful, but your alliance partner has been significantly more successful. And if you don't turn on them, uh, then they're going to definitely top the board or solo or, you know, run away with it in a way. And so, um, you know, that's a moment where if you are actively uh, evaluating your own chances, you, you might need to stab them. Um, a, uh, you know, another scenario is where somebody on the opposite side of the board has broken. You might think that you are advocating to outrace the person on the other side of the board by stabbing your ally. That's, that's a scenario that I that um people often go for and uh, th those are ones that are it that seems to me a very narrow chance of success uh, obviously it depends a lot on the exact situation yeah. um, I mean, so when i was talking about the on the other side of the board and racing that wasn't what i was mentioning i was more mentioning that you have two powers on the other side of the board and you're allied with the other person on your side um you may say hey i need that other person on the other side of the board to be free to defend themselves against the potential board top so I need to stab my ally to free them up because we can no longer attack. It's not in my interest to attack. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So maybe you are England and France against Italy and uh, Turkey and Italy needs the freedom to fight Turkey. And so you attack your ally France in order to uh, allow Italy to, uh, you, you basically reconfigure so that you as England are with Italy, um, both fighting France and Italy can fight Turkey. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's a nice moment as well. You're switching alliances, so you are no longer um, prioritizing. So you're England in this case, and France has been your your alliance partner. You're no longer prioritizing France's um, ends, but, but you have adopted another ally, and you are doing things that will significantly increase, say, Italy's chances of of topping the board. Um, but that also happens to be the path that increases your chances of topping the board the most. So yeah, there is more to say. Uh, back to Natty's question from much earlier, there is more to say about um, uh, about how to figure out when uh, when it's worth breaking an, an alliance. But uh, yeah, but it's complicated, and somebody should write a book about that. <laughs> if I could take a stab at the definition that I that I just tried to think of, I think when you're playing alliance play, you're trying to cultivate trust as a currency that you can use to improve your strategic that you can use to maximize your strategic efficiency and accomplish goals together and it's really the building of trust as currency that makes it different than balance of power play in which you have more flexibility to act in in your own interest or in, in different ways but you have less uh, efficiency because you're having to guard against everyone at once oh i see so it's like a it's like another level of uh, strategic consideration is what you're saying above um, even a, like you could have two levels of strategic efficiency and you're talking, uh, you're, you're saying that alliance play, you want to car carve out a definition of alliance play that has a kind of meta importance because um, there's this second order good that you're calling uh, trust 
that, that you can cultivate. And not meta beyond the individual game, but I mean, if you're attacking, if you're England and you're attacking France uh, on your own, that's one thing. But if you're, you and Italy are both attacking France, you know, you're more likely to, to be successful, uh, right? Um, so if you can do things that people, that you've, if, you've, if you can act in the way you've told somebody you're going to act, and then they count on you acting that way going forward, uh, you have a new path to success besides um, the sort of tactical balance of power. That's how I see the difference. Yeah, yeah. And- and you want to say that that's an element of alliance play that's and not an element of uh, of balance of power. Balance of power. To... Well, that's that's yeah. the the cultivation of trust over the course of multiple turns is what I was defining as different. Uh, it should be pointed out that what you're saying, Ben, uh, can also be accomplished not by alliance play. Like you can cultivate trust by other means, by demonstrating consistency, by establishing détente. You know, like. For instance, if you consider the French-Italian border, there you can build a lot of trust over the course of the game just by never going in, you know, never going in the uh, Piedmont, Gulf of Leon, Western Med, North Africa spots, right? So, and that's not an alliance per se; that's just a de, uh, détente. Yeah, that's true. Although you could, def- if if you were making a technical definition, you could define it as a form of alliance. Although I can see how it's not a, a true alliance. Um, Right, because an alliance, I would think, has uh, shared goals, right? Right. But if you have that border and then one of you are succeeding and you do not break that border, then you're not playing balance of power play anymore. It's an alliance move to not break the border. Right, right. That, that I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a distinction there between um, whether you are doing uh, things actively to promote the other uh, person's interest or or merely passively not um, not detracting from them. And, you know, you can imagine with Italy and France, they might be collaborating actively against Germany, something like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's interesting. But the idea that there are um, that there's a dis- that you can distinguish balance of power play versus alliance play. Um, by articulating uh, sort of second order uh, benefits that um, uh, like trust or um, credibility even. But I think you could argue that for balance of power as well, because I think uh, Dave is trying to get at this a little bit. You can, um, you can sort of demonstrate your ability to read the strategic situation effectively um, and establish yourself as a competent player. Uh, even when shifting alliances, people, if people recognize that your reason for shifting the alliance um, is well-founded, then that's a kind of currency as well um, that you can use in some way later in the game. Yeah, I think like Brandon said, the two aren't mutually exclusive. Like balance of power play is just something you, sh- you should to an extent be doing all the time in the background, uh, if nothing else, whereas alliance play is going to be situational because typically you know like i said a second ago there you're going to have to have shared goals and if those are offensive goals you know if you're not just defending against another alliance then uh, from turn to turn you're going to need to uh you know consider the consequences of what you're doing and potentially reassess and that might cause the alliance to fall apart or you know strengthen conversely so like i think 
alliance play is something that's uh t- could easily be conjoined or not with balance of power play like i think they're just um uh very you know they, they, they operate on different uh uh scales there are different moments right i think they're it's like the same way of thinking about the game just apply to different moments of the game um yeah one yeah one in which like we call it we talk about alliance play when people are growing together we talk about balance of power play when um uh when somebody is about to break out and uh, the board needs to be rebalanced in some way in order to keep one's hopes alive but in either case you're sort of making the same consideration whether sticking with the alliance structure as it is is better for you than not it, yeah, and it's it's also got you know like I think another issue uh, as far as it's just the defining the the term you know like if does it uh, you can there are some obvious cases of alliance play right when like uh, you're England uh, I'm France we both attack Germany together that's an alliance but like let's say uh, you're England I'm France and Ben is Germany um, and Ben and I are doing things uh, together on a front and you're just sitting on your hands and negotiating for us to give you centers uh when we when we get too far ahead like are you know like is that are you in the alliance um if so why or how so you know etc like i think there's there starts to be uh, gray areas when you're trying to define the term yeah but ultimately for me the question is are you are you viewing me as um you know, as some, well, one of the questions, one of the fundamental questions is, are you viewing me as somebody whose goals are worthy? And if you're, you know, if you're sitting on your hands and not helping me in any way, then you're not. Um, well, if you're sitting on your hands because you're not, your other choice would be to attack me, then, then I think that's good, right? You know? Oh, yeah. Like if you're, if it's Turkey behind the lines and they have nothing to do other than attack you and they're not doing it. Right. Uh, yeah, right, right. Yeah, 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 fair. You know, I, I was like, you know, like the, the, there are plenty of times where, like, you know, you won't have like, you know, active support for moves or anything like that, like, you know, um, but it would still definitely be considered like a true alliance. Like, I can think of my DixieCon game with Ed um, in round two, uh, where we are France and Italy, and I don't think we gave each other's gave each other's moves like support more than once or maybe twice. Um, but that was still a very, very functional, very, very up tempo alliance based on mutual trust where neither of us moved units towards each other without like coordination of those moves and allowed us basically to have super huge unit efficiency in terms of where our units can be placed and how fast they can move because we didn't have to worry about uh, defending our border much at all. Um, and I think that's like, you know, there are plenty of times where do not get in my way alliances can be almost as effective or just as effective as, actively entangled and supportive alliances as well. Yeah, and in that case, you both were trusting each other's um, ability to read the, the strategic situation and recognize that um, that this course of action was better for both of you, rather yeah. than pulling pulling some you know dopey stab that just uh, ruined things for both of you. Exactly. Um, yeah, and that for me, that's what I, that's one of the things I wanted to try to get at with that notion of strategic efficiency. You're both you're using the strategic situation on the board, which included your evaluation of the person uh, and their ability to read the situation um, as a way to uh, increase your own unit efficiency. Um, a, a follow up though on this other idea of like whether um, 
whether somebody is helping you or not. I, you know, I often see um, as Turkey, uh, a Turkey who tries to form an RT with Russia that involves Russia putting the fleet into Romania in the, in the first year. And this seems, you know, on the one hand attractive because Russia is not in the Black Sea and, you know, less likely to, uh, to stab you from that respect, but that, that fleet can't help you in any way. So uh, it can help, it can support um, Bulgaria potentially, but, you know, almost certainly going to get cut. Um, so if you're trying to create an RT, if you're Turkey and you're trying to create an RT and you want to, you need to be able to advance through Austria, you know, Russia has to put an army in, uh, in, in Romania. So that's a case where, um, you know, if you're, if you're alliance partner, if you're, if, if Russia is insisting or suggest even suggesting putting the fleet there as uh as a way to form an alliance with you as turkey it's um that's a case where they're not likely not thinking of how your interests are going to be advanced so a bit of a sidebar there but but overall i mean i uh natty i think uh maybe it's time to to wrap this up oh yes uh thank you for your time brandon uh it's been a really interesting discussion all right, thanks guys. This was really fun and uh, hopefully we uh, figured something out. You've been listening to Masterclass. To participate in future Masterclass sessions, please join the Virtual World Diplomacy Community's Discord server by following the link in the episode description. And remember to subscribe to the Diplomacy Dojo podcast for Brotherboard's Dojo, as well as future Masterclass recordings. Thanks to Frederick Larden for the music Robot is Chilling, used here in our intro and outro.